Chapter 10 of With Cortez in Mexico. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. With Cortez in Mexico by George Alfred Henty. Chapter 10 News from the Coast. It was with a feeling of pleasure and relief that, after some hours, Roger saw the hangings drawn aside, and Kakama enter. Come, my friend, the council is over, and you may return with me. Kakama was evidently anxious to be off at once, and Roger followed him without a question. One of the pages of the palace led the way through a long series of passages, and at last Roger found himself outside the palace, where a door opened into a canal. Here Kakama's boat was lying. The young king and Roger took their seats, and the canoe dashed off at once. It has been a hard fight in the council, Kakama said. No two men were of the same opinion. Even the priests were divided among themselves, and Montezuma was as undecided at the end as he was at the beginning, so that the decision is postponed. Then the question arose, were you going to be treated as a guest or as a prisoner? And this I settled by saying that I would take you back with me to Tezcuco and produce you whenever required. So in order to avoid excitement among the people, I sent word for the boat to be brought round to that quiet entrance to the palace, by which means we avoided passing through the streets altogether." At one time it seemed to me that the decision would go against you, on the ground that, had you been a supernatural being, you would have had new arts to teach the people. Fortunately, I had brought with me the pictures you made for my wife and sister, and these I showed them. I pointed out that they were altogether different from the work of our own scribes, that these drew stiff images that looked like representations not of men and animals, but of wooden creatures, while in your drawings it seemed as if the men and animals were moving across the paper, and that, were you to teach our scribes thus to portray objects, it would make a profound alteration in Mexican art. This made a great impression upon them. Many of the nobles belonging to the Council of Education were present, and Montezuma himself is fond of art. All were greatly struck with your paintings, and these certainly went a long way towards strengthening my party. When we get back, you shall do some pictures of things such as they see here and are accustomed to. Perhaps you could do even better still if you were to try. I could make much more finished pictures, Roger said. These were only sketched off in haste, and with such colors as came to hand but if I had pigments and could mix the colors as I wanted them, I could produce very much better effect. Roger, as a child, had been placed by his father during the latter's long absences from home at a school kept by some monks at a monastery at Plymouth in order that he might learn to read and write, as these accomplishments would be of great use to him as a master mariner. His fondness for painting attracted the attention of one of the old monks 
who illuminated missals, and he had permitted him to copy many of the manuscripts in the monastery, and had given him instructions in the art. He had, indeed, been so struck with the talent the boy showed that he told Reuben Hawkshaw that if he would let his son devote himself to art, he would make a famous painter. The sailor had scoffed at the idea, and Roger himself, fond as he was of painting, would have been reluctant to abandon the idea of going to sea. The instructions he had obtained, however, up to the age of twelve, when he went on his first voyage with his father, had been of great assistance to him. Thanks to his natural talent, his visits to the churches at the various ports at which the ship touched, and to the fact that he had plenty of time on board to practice the art, his pictures were surprisingly good, and had excited a great deal of attention on the part of the friends and acquaintances of Master Diggory Beggs. Upon his return to Tezcuco, Kakama ordered the scribes to furnish him with large sheets of the best paper, brushes, and pigments. The colors were all bright and glaring ones, but by mixing them and adding some somber dyes he obtained in the market, Roger succeeded in getting the required tints. Taking his place in the garden, at a point where he commanded the lake near at hand, dotted with canoes, and the city of Mexico, with its background of hills in the distance, Roger set to work. To the surprise of the scribe, who had been ordered to assist him, he mixed the colors with oil instead of water, and then began his pictures. He worked as long as there was sufficient light, and recommenced it the next morning, directly after sunrise, and continued at work all day, and by evening had finished the picture, three feet by two, which, although it would not be considered remarkable in Europe, excited the most lively admiration on the part of Kakama and the ladies. He explained to the king that, as he had none of the spirit that was used in conjunction with the oil to make it dry rapidly, it would be some days before the picture would be sufficiently dry to be touched. Kakama, however, sent it off the next morning, under charge of his principal scribe, to Montezuma, who sent back word that he was astonished, indeed, at this work of art, which seemed to him to be almost magical, and he sent in return a large golden goblet to Roger, in token of his satisfaction. Kakama was summoned to a council on the following day, and returned, saying that the picture had quite turned the scale in Roger's favor, that it had been examined by the chief scribes and the men of science, who all agreed that no such thing had been seen before, and that a person who was thus able to turn, as it were, a leaf of paper into a mirror, to fix upon it the representation of scenes just as the eye beheld them, must be possessed of powers altogether strange and supernatural. They desired to know whether he would teach his methods to some of the chief scribes of the emperor. Kakama warmly congratulated Roger on the result. "'You are now safe for the present, at any rate,' he said, "'and the priests are silenced. You may have trouble in the future, but for the time Montezuma's love of art has overcome his doubts and fears as to good and evil omens. Shall I have to take up my residence in Mexico?' 
i hardly think so cacama replied tezcuco is still acknowledged the centre of the arts and sciences of anahuac here are the best schools of the scribes and they come here to be instructed in hieroglyphic writing from all parts of the kingdom moreover in that way montezuma will have less uneasiness concerning you he will think that even if the omens be unfavorable there will be no danger so long as you are at a distance from his capital therefore i think he is more likely to order some of the scribes to take up their residence here for a time than he is to bid you to cross to teach them there such in fact was the purport of the message received from montezuma on the following day six of the most accomplished scribes of mexico were to proceed at once to tezcuco there to be instructed in the new art and the next day roger found himself established in a room in the palace with the six aztec scribes and six of those most celebrated for their skill in tezcuco some attendants were told off to mix colors under his directions and to purchase for him in the market all kinds of dyes and colors he might require a male and female slave were at roger's request placed at his service to act as models and the attendants had orders to fetch from the cages and aviaries any beasts and birds he might desire to copy roger had at first some difficulty in preserving his gravity at thus undertaking charge of an art school at first he confined himself to sketching from the models with a burnt stick on the white paper and in seeing that his pupils did the same their drawing had hitherto been purely conventional they had always drawn a man in a certain way not because they saw him so but because that was the way in which they had been taught to draw him and he had great difficulty in getting them to depart altogether from these lines and to draw the model exactly as he stood before them what he called his school hours lasted but four hours a day and as he did this work in the middle of the day when it was too hot to go out but very pleasant in the rooms with their thick walls and semi-shaded windows it interfered but little with his daily life he had now a set of apartments next to those of cuitcatl with attendants to wait upon him but his time was spent as much in the young noble's rooms as in his own in the morning they walked together either in the town or beyond its walls in the evening they spent hours upon the lake sometimes in large canoes with gay parties the boats decked with flowers while at a short distance another boat with musicians followed in their wake the melody which was by no means agreeable to roger when close coming softly across the water with cuitcatl as a guide roger visited the schools where the young nobles were educated and which reminded him much of that at which he had for five or six years been taught he also frequently witnessed the drilling of the soldiers this was of a very simple character consisting principally in teaching them to move together in masses and to shoot with a bow the bows were light and the arrows small and roger thought that they could scarcely be very formidable weapons even against men clad in quilted cotton for although they might wound and annoy they could seldom kill one evening about five months after his arrival roger had just returned 
from an excursion upon the lake, and he and Cuitcatl were seated in the latter's rooms, sipping chocolate, when the hangings of the door were drawn aside suddenly, and Amenche entered. With an exclamation of surprise, the two young men rose to their feet and saluted deeply. "'You must fly,' she exclaimed to Roger, and at once. "'The royal boat has just come from Mexico, with two nobles and a guard. They have orders to carry you back with them. The news has arrived that several floating castles, filled with white men with strange arms and animals, have arrived on the coast. Secret council has been held, and Montezuma is full of alarm. The priests have decided that you are undoubtedly a spy, and must be sacrificed at once to the gods. I happened to be behind the hanging, heard what was said, and hurried away to warn you. There is not a moment to lose. Go round to the garden, and conceal yourself in the shrubbery near the Eagle House. I will tell Kakama where you are, and he will come, or send down to you, to say what had best be done, and where you are to go. Do not delay an instant. The orders were urgent, and they will be here in a minute or two to seize you. Not a word, now. Go. I must not be found here. I will see you again. And she was gone. Come, my friend, Cuitcatl said. There is evidently not a moment to be lost. Roger ran into his room, emptied from a drawer where they were lying the gold ornaments and presents he had received, and tied them in a cloth, caught up his sword, and then, with Cuitcatl, hurried down the passage. Just as they reached the end, they saw a party appear at the other extremity, preceded by an official carrying torches. "'We are but just in time,' the young noble said. "'The princess has saved your life.' In two or three minutes they were in the garden, and keeping carefully in the shade of the shrubs, so as to escape the view of any who might be sitting at the windows or on the flat roof of the palace, enjoying the lovely evening and the bright moonlight. They made their way cautiously down to the Eagle House, which lay at the other end of the garden, nearly half a mile from the palace. The whole thing had come so suddenly upon Roger that he could scarcely believe, even now, that his pleasant and tranquil time had come to an end, and he was in danger of being dragged away and instantly sacrificed. Scarce a word was spoken till they reached the spot indicated. Close to this grew a large patch of bamboos. "'We will take refuge here for the present,' Cuitcatl said. "'It is hardly likely they will search the gardens at night. It would need an army to do so thoroughly. If we hear footsteps approaching, we can take refuge inside.' and meantime let us seat ourselves here. These must be the people you told us of the first night you came. No doubt they are so, but, Cuitcatl, you had best return at once to your chamber. You will be missed as well as I shall, and it would be suspected that you had a share in my flight, and if I should make my escape, the emperor's vengeance may fall on you. Pray, leave me at once." I should be most unhappy if my misfortunes brought trouble upon you. You have been like a brother to me since I came here. I should not think of leaving you, the young noble said firmly. But you can do me more good by going, Cuitcatl. You will see what is taking place there, and may throw them off the scent. While here you can do me no good whatever, and indeed might do me harm. 
were I found here with you, I should be forced to surrender without striking a blow, for I should be afraid to resist, lest I should bring harm upon you. Whereas, if I am alone, I would fight to the death rather than surrender. Besides, you will be able to consult the princess, and can bring down such things as you may consider will aid me in my flight, though how I am to escape the search there will be after me is more than I can guess. Pray go at once, for the sooner you go, the sooner you can bring me back news of what is being done up there. Kuitkadl saw the justice of Roger's reasoning. I may at least throw them off the scent, he said, and see about preparing for your flight. You promise to hide in the bamboos there, if searchers should come in this direction? Certainly I do. I will do all in my power to conceal myself, and will only fight if there be no other way. Kuitkadl at once glided noiselessly off, keeping as before in the shadow of the bushes. For an hour and a half Roger remained alone. He was sitting under the shadow of the bamboos, and could in a moment withdraw himself among them. At last he thought he heard a slight noise, and drew back towards the thick canes. A moment later, however, he stepped forward, as a figure he at once recognized advanced across a patch of moonlight from the next clump of shrubs. "'All is well so far,' Kuitkadl said. Directly I entered the palace, an attendant told me that I was being inquired for, and I proceeded straight to the royal apartments. Montezuma's messengers were there. They at once asked me if I had seen you. I said yes, that we had been walking together, but that you had not returned with me, as you said that the night was so lovely you should remain out for some time longer. They asked me if I could lead them to where you were, but I said that you had not told me which way you should go, and you might, for aught I knew, have taken a canoe and gone for a moonlight row on the lake, as was often your custom. Orders have been issued to the city guard to arrest you immediately, wherever you might be found, and the envoys themselves started at once with the guard they had brought with them to the waterside. Up to that time, Kakama, who had not left them, was in ignorance what had become of you, and I could see he was anxious and much troubled. Do you know where he is? he asked me, as soon as we were alone. Would it not be better, your majesty, I said, that you should remain in ignorance? Should he escape, Montezuma will be furious, and it might be well that you should be able to affirm, on your oath, that you knew nothing of him, and were in no way privy to his escape. But is there a chance of his escaping? he asked. We will do what we can, I said, and we can do no more. With a disguise, a guide, and arms, Roger Hawkshaw may be able to make his way through the country, in spite of Montezuma and his army. I should think that the best thing will be to get him into a small canoe, take him to the end of the lake, and land him near Tepichpan. Then he can strike up north, take to the hills there, and then journey east. All the roads direct from here will be so guarded that it will be impossible to get through. The search will be close everywhere, but there will be more chance of escape on that line than from here. But how about the guide? Whom can we trust? I have one of my hunters in the town. He brought some game down from my estate today and was not to return until tomorrow. 
I know where he lodges. He is a brave fellow, and carried my banner in the last campaign. You will let me know before he starts? the king asked. I will, your majesty. The moon will not be down for three hours yet, and he cannot attempt to fly until it has set. As I left the royal apartment, one of the female attendants came up and, putting her finger on her lip, signed to me to follow her. I did so, and she led me to the apartment where the queen and Princess Amenche were awaiting me. "'You have left your friends safe, Cuitcatl,' the queen said. "'The princess has told me the part she has taken in the affair. It was foolish, but I cannot blame her, though if Montezuma knew by whose means the prey had slipped from his fingers, the least she could expect would be to be ordered to retire for life to one of the temples. Have you formed any plans? I told her what I had thought of. That seems as good a plan as any other, she said. He will need paints to disguise himself, the dress of a peasant, and arms. He has his sword, I said. He cannot take that. Its golden handle would betray him at once. A heavy woodman's axe and a bow and spear would be the most suitable. He shall have them, I said. My hunter shall take them and place them in the canoe, in readiness. What are you going to do now? I am going first into the town to give my hunter his instructions, and bid him be at the lake entrance to the gardens half an hour after the moon has set. I shall want the key of the gate. Next I shall go down and tell Roger what preparations have been made, and then return here, for it is best I should be seen in the palace." Then, just as the moon sets, I shall go down again to him. Come here on your way, Cuitcatl. I shall go down with Amenche to say good-bye to him. This obstinate girl has determined to go, and I cannot let her go alone. As soon as I left them, I went down to the town and found my hunter, who has taken a vow to lay down his life to save you, if necessary. Here are some peasant's clothes, a coarse cotton mantle, and a short skirt. Here is a jar of dye. You had better strip at once, and let me color you, and then put on these clothes. It will be too dark to see to do it properly when I return. Besides, time will be short then. This small jar contains some dye from the juice of a plant which will turn your hair black, at least, as they use it for dyeing the skins of animals black, I suppose it will affect your hair." Roger at once took off his gaudy attire and was stained from head to foot with the contents of the jug, and then rubbed his hair with the liquid from the smaller vessel. Then he put on the peasant's clothes. "'You will pass well now,' Cuitcatl said, heading him out into the moonlight, so that he could obtain a good view of him. "'It is only your height that is against you. Still, some men are taller than others, though I never saw one as tall as you.' and you will certainly be stared at. Is there anything else in the way of arms you would like, besides the axe and spear? I shall make myself a bow and arrows when we get fairly away, Roger said. I did not know you could use them. I could not use such little things as those your people carry, but we still use the bow in England, and every boy is obliged by law to practice with it. With such a bow as I should make, I could send an arrow three times as far as those puny weapons of yours, and could keep my foes at a distance, whereas otherwise they could shoot me down as they chose. 
They will not shoot you down, Cuitcatl said. You may be quite sure that the orders will be to take you alive, and this will give you a great advantage if you are attacked. But I must be going up now to the palace again, to show myself, for a time, among our friends. Just as the moon sets, I will be here. Will you thank the queen and princess for their kindness, Roger said, and say that, much as I should like to say goodbye to them, I would not that they should run any risks by coming to see me? They will come, Cuitcatl said, unless I am greatly mistaken. The princess would come, even if her uncle Montezuma were himself watching her. Roger sat down again and watched the moon going down. He felt a certain sense of exhilaration at the thought that he was about to enter upon a life of active adventure again. It had seemed to him lately that his life was to be spent in this strange country, cut off from all chances of ever returning to England, and that sooner or later he was assuredly destined to form a part of their hideous sacrifices. The party against him had been silenced for a moment, but would be sure to gather strength again, and he would be called upon either to worship these blood-stained idols or to die. Life was pleasant enough as it was at present, with the friendship of the young king and the kindness of the queen and princess, but he would soon be tired of it, with its everlasting sunshine and its flowers and its idleness. At last the moon set, and in a few minutes he heard footsteps approaching, and Cuitcatl and two veiled figures came up. The queen came straight up to him. "'We are very sorry to lose you, Roger Hawkshaw,' she said gently, and were there a hope of doing so successfully, we would defy the cruel orders from Montezuma, but it would bring ruin on our people. I know that it cannot be done, madam, Roger said. I thank you and the king most heartily for all your kindness to me. If I escape to my own country, I shall remember it all my life, and I will pray to the god we worship to give you happiness. Take this, the queen said, putting a small bag into his hand. You have told me that these gems are as much prized among your people as they are here, and you can more easily conceal them than gold. I have taken them with the king's permission from the royal treasure, and should you reach your distant home in safety, they ought to make you rich for the rest of your life. And now farewell. Whatever the priests may say, Kakama and I know that you came as a friend and meant us no harm. Now, Amenche, she said, come and say good-bye. The girl came forward slowly. She took Roger's hand and gazed up into his face. She seemed to try to speak, and then Roger felt her sway suddenly and caught her just as she would have fallen. Give her to me, the queen said. It is best so, by far. Hurry away, Roger. You have done harm enough without meaning it. Cuitcatl, take him away at once. The young noble took Roger's hand and hurried him away. What is the matter? he asked, bewildered. What did the queen mean, that I had done harm enough? Do you mean to say that you have not seen that Amentia loves you? I never dreamed of such a thing, Roger exclaimed. Kakama and the queen, and all of us who have seen her with you, knew it long ago and had it not been for this unlucky news today, Kakama would, in a short time, have offered you her hand. 
there has been a scene to-night between her and her brother for she declared that she would go with you and share your dangers whatever they might be she has for the last three hours been confined in her chamber and she was only allowed to come down to say good-bye to you on her swearing that she would return with the queen to her room i am awfully sorry roger said i never dreamed of such a thing the princess has always been very kind to me but i should never have thought of raising my eyes so high besides as i have told you i am still scarce a man and with us one does not think of marriage until he is five or six years older than i am no one blames you at all kuitcatl said the king and queen both told her that they were sure you had not thought of her in that way though they naturally supposed that had you remained here you would have gladly formed such an alliance when it was offered you however it is no use talking any more about it you will have difficulties enough before you and would have had no chance whatever of getting through them if encumbered with her cacama told her so but she scoffed at the idea of danger mexican women when they love are ready for any sacrifice cacama did not press that but chiefly spoke of the terrible scandal it would be were she his sister and the niece of montezuma to be brought back with you a captive they were now at the gate cuitcatl opened it and locked it again after him a figure was standing outside this is my follower you may rely upon him to serve you to the last bathalda this is my white friend you will serve him as you would me the man took roger's hand and carried it to his forehead my life is yours my lord he said is everything ready bathalda asked cuitcatl yes my lord i have the canoe hidden among the rocks with the arms and some food it is but a few hundred yards away let us be off then at once cuitcatl said the man led the way down to the lake and then along the shore for some little distance there is the canoe he said cuitcatl embraced roger i wish that i could go with you my white brother and share your dangers down to the coast he said but i could aid you but little and my life would be forfeited on my return may the gods of mexico and the god you worship protect you it may be who knows that some day you may return hither cuitcatl's heart will be rejoiced to see you thank you for all your kindness roger said whatever befalls me i shall never forget it thank cacama for all he has done in my favor and say good-bye for me to the princess tell her that it is better so for that so soft a flower would soon droop and pine away in my cold country roger took his seat in the canoe bathalda seized the paddle and the little boat shot out from the shore for some distance they kept close in under the shadow of the land bathalda saying that two or three royal canoes were rowing up and down opposite the town and that every canoe putting off had been stopped and questioned several times when the sound of a paddle was heard out on the lake bathalda stopped rowing for a time but after keeping close to the shore for an hour he struck out more boldly and after two hours further rowing approached the shore again this is the point where we must land he said four hours walking will take us among the hills but before we leave the canoe we will half fill it with stones 
then knock a hole in her bottom and push her out into the lake to sink. Were she found here in the morning, it might afford a clue as to the way we had taken. This was done, and then they started for the hills. Alone, Roger would have had great difficulty in making his way along the paths running between the cultivated fields, but his companion led the way without hesitation, seeing, apparently, as well as if it had been broad daylight. Roger carried the axe, which was a heavy one, on one shoulder, and in the other hand the spear, which he used as a walking-stick. Before daylight broke they were ascending the hills, which were wild and rugged. They passed several villages lying high up on rugged hilltops, and inaccessible save by ladders, which could be drawn up in case of attack. The tribes here have only recently been conquered, Bathalda said. They pay tribute to Mexico, but are a wild race, and as there is nothing to be obtained from them but hard knocks, they are but little interfered with. Getting deeper among the hills, Bathalda, just as morning was breaking, led the way up a ravine down which a little stream trickled, and found a resting place among a number of great rocks that had fallen from above. Here, he said, we shall be perfectly safe for the day. It is not likely that even a shepherd will enter this ravine, and if he does, he is not likely to come upon us here. First, let us eat our breakfast, and then we will lie down and sleep till evening. I will keep watch if you like, but I do not think there is any occasion for it. Not the least, Roger agreed. We had both better get what sleep we can. We shall have a long tramp before us tonight. They were undisturbed during the day, and, as soon as the sunset, were again on their feet. The journey was a toilsome one. The country was so broken that they were continually either climbing the steep hills or descending into the valleys. After the moon had set, they were forced to come to a halt for some hours, finding it impossible to climb the steep hills in the darkness. With the first light of day, they were again in motion, and continued walking for some hours. There, Bathalda said at last, as he gained the brow of the hill, that is the plateau land. The town you see there, away on our right, is Atampan. Now we will keep due west. There are no large towns now, till we reach Tlatlanquitepec and Perote. From that point our danger will be the greatest, for all the roads across the mountains are sure to be watched. The guards at the station-houses on these roads have, no doubt, by this time, had orders to look for you and arrest you. But by traveling at night we may pass them safely. We may as well enter that field of maize and lie down until evening. After that we will follow a path till we gain a main road and then travel straight on. We can go so much faster on a road than through the fields and I know where the post-houses are situated, so we can make a detour to avoid them. That night they walked, as far as Roger could guess, fifty miles, and again entered a very hilly country. In the morning they left the road, and encamped in a wood far up the hillside. During the day they saw several parties of troops following the road, and many couriers passed along at a swift run. The whole country is up, Bathalda said, we shall have to be very careful in future. 
the first night while passing through the low hot country near the lake roger had cut a strong bamboo together with a bundle of smaller rods suitable for arrows bathalda had brought with him a bag of sharp obsidian arrowheads and some feathers for winging them together with a bowstring of twice the ordinary strength he had looked on with amusement when roger cut the bamboo making it as was the custom of english archers of his own height my lord is not intending that surely for a bow he said yes bathalda i think that will do well roger said trying with his knee the stiffness of the cane at the halt next day roger had cut the notches for the string now bathalda he said can you string this no my lord nor can any other man i think it is about the strength of the bows we use at home roger said the stringing them is a matter of knack as well as of strength and to the amazement of the aztec he strung the bow now said he let us make some arrows they should be a cloth yard in length that is from the middle of my chest to the end of my middle finger a dozen of the light bamboos were cut to this length the huntsman fitted the obsidian points to them and roger stepped back a hundred yards from the small tree with a trunk some six inches in diameter under whose shade they had been sitting then he fitted the arrow to the string bent the bow to its head and loosed the arrow it struck the trunk but glanced off i am out of practice indeed he said or i should have hit that fair in the centre to the huntsman however the shot seemed well-nigh miraculous the distance being twice as great as the mexican bows would carry with anything like accuracy while the speed with which the arrow flew and the distance it went after glancing from the tree showed that it would have been fatal at least fifty yards beyond the object aimed at taking the bow from roger he fitted another arrow in and tried to bend it but with all his efforts could only draw the arrow four or five inches it is wonderful he said returning the weapon to roger if i had not seen it done i could not have believed it it is merely a matter of practice roger said my people are famous for their dexterity with the bow and i have seen men hit a mark no bigger than the palm of my hand ten times in succession at that distance the next time they halted bathalda made the rest of the bamboos into arrows and making a quiver of the bark of a tree hung them over his shoulder roger left his spear behind using the bow which he had unstrung as a walking staff bathalda offered to carry the spear in addition to his own weapon but roger told him that he did not care about it if it should come to a hand-to-hand -hand fight he said i would rather rely on my axe besides the bow now it is unstrung makes an excellent quarterstaff a weapon with which i have practised a great deal with a spear your people would know quite as much as i should but i fancy that with a quarterstaff i should astonish them it has the advantage too that it disables without killing and as your soldiers would only be doing their duty in arresting me i should be sorry to do them more harm than i could help there were a great many men on the road below there to-day a great many my lord and no doubt the garrisons of the two towns we shall have to pass to-night will be all out and on the watch 
This is the most dangerous part of the journey. The mountains are rugged, and there are only certain passes by which we can travel, and they are sure to be watched narrowly. They will guess that we shall travel by night. I suppose it will not be possible to make a detour, either to the south or north? The Aztec shook his head. To the north lie terrible mountains, of whose passes I know nothing. Our provisions are exhausted, and we must, in future, depend upon maize and other things we can pick by the way. Were we to go there, we should find nothing. To the south lies Tlaxcala, whose people are independent of Montezuma. They are fierce and warlike, and would seize and offer you to the gods without pity. Still, they would not be on the lookout for us, and we might, therefore, pass through their country without being seen. We might do so, my lord, Bathalda agreed. At any rate, Roger said, it seems to me that there would be more chance in that direction than in going straight forward. From what you say, it seems well-nigh impossible for us to get through the passes ahead of us without being captured. Accordingly, when night fell, they struck off to the south. The journey was a very toilsome one, for they were now crossing the spurs of the hills, running far down into the plateau. As before, they had to halt when the moon set, but continued their way at daybreak. There is a road down in the valley there, Roger said, after three hours more walking. Bethalda stood looking down for some time. I know it now, he said. It is the last road north of Tlaxcala, and runs from Hujotlapan to Yuxtacamuxtitlan. We are already east of Tlaxcala, and about fifteen miles from Yuxtacamuxtitlan. If we get past that town without accident, we shall then have to cross the pass of Obispo, over the great range of mountains, and come down near Nalinko. Once past that town, our dangers will be over, for there are few towns and villages in the Tierra Caliente. Our great danger will lie in the pass. There are but two or three roads across these mountains, and they will know that we must follow them. Well, we must take our chance, Roger said. So far we have met with no difficulties whatever, and provided we don't come across too large a force, we ought to be able to manage to get through. I noticed there were trees right through the pass I came over, and I see the country ahead is thickly wooded. How far is the pass from where we are now? About thirty miles. It is where you see that cleft in the great line of hills. Well, we can get near it before the moon sets, and we'll try to pass through by daylight. It would be useless attempting to make our way through the trees at night, and if we have to fight, I would rather do so in the light. We will lie down now, for I own I am completely tired out. End of chapter 10